baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Our next guest joins us every Tuesday. He's a Navy veteran. That's how you know he's good people. He's also the founder and CEO of an organization based out of Washington, D.C. that's working to help veterans get more involved in politics as well as stay informed on what's happening the day-to-day up on Capitol Hill. He is Justin Brown, and he is live in studios. Studious. He's live in studios in studio with us. Justin Brown, welcome back to The Morning Briefing, my friend. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. How are you, Eric? Uh, Again, I was telling you off the microphone, as we mentioned at the earlier part of the show, I'm better today. After a babysitter no-show yesterday, which gets your day off to a bad start, you have to call your producer and say, hey, guess who's hosting the show today? You. And here's who your guests are. So do some research in the next hour or so. Um, other than that, you know, I'm doing fine. And we were just talking about uh, some interesting news stories. Let me get your opinion on this one. Uh-oh. This Miguel Perez Jr., 39 years old, two times deployed to Afghanistan, diagnosed post-traumatic stress, maybe a TBI, was arrested, convicted, Served seven years of a 15-year sentence, and then when released from prison, basically was taken into custody and is now going to be deported to Mexico, it looks like, because he's not an American citizen. Came from Mexico when he was eight years old, been living in the, the United States for 31 years or so. At face value, uh, you might think like, well, why is one of our fellow veterans being deported? I mean, sure. yeah, he's not a citizen and everything. Uh, then you look a little bit deeper into the story and find out that he was trying to sell a briefcase full of cocaine to the feds, and that's what he got caught for. Uh, where do you stand on that? On somebody who's a non-citizen veteran convicted of a felony, something like this, a, a big drug charge, there's a big argument and a big push. I've seen this on so many different media outlets where, well, he's a veteran of the United States. Uh, how do you look at that when when someone's getting deported in this situation? I mean, Broke the law. That seems pretty clear. And the law states, if you're not a citizen, you're convicted of a felony. Boop, boop. See ya. Way to come out swinging at 7.30 a.m. Hey, man, I've been up for a long time. That's not my (laughs) fault if you just got up. (laughs) Um, Yeah, wow. I mean, that's a tough one, right? I mean, here's a guy who deployed two times on behalf of our nation and, um, you know, is is now being deported uh, for, you know, crimes that he was uh, found guilty of. You know, I think it's I think it's pretty that's that's a, that's a tough one, and I don't know if I have a perfect answer. I mean, I right. think I think that you know it's a fair mix of the the judicial system, and then you kind of wrap a layer of politics around you know everything that's going on in our country with immigration and um, you know the rhetoric that's so heated wrapped around it, you know, uh, immigration right now. And I I think that certainly he probably represents the you know the the less than one percent of those veterans who do serve in our military who are not citizens i i served with some of those folks and they were absolutely incredible they you know they busted their butt um they worked in incredibly hard and and through that process even while we were deploying we're trying to pull their paperwork together to become american citizens and i think for me they represented some of the best of the best of what immigration could be and, you know, it's guys like this that, that really make it uh, difficult on good people like that. 
yeah. um, who, who, who are trying to do all the right things, who are trying to become um, citizens of our country in all the right ways. And so it's really unfortunate that, you know, this, 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 uh, unfor- you know, he, he is a veteran, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and, and, you know, a veteran of our, our military uh, made such uh, poor decisions. And, yeah. and because of that, you know, it's, I think it's going to feed into this larger dialogue. Right. And it looks like he was about 30 years old or so when he was arrested. So, I mean, if you've been in the country since he was eight, 22 years, including 12 or so as an adult serving in the military, where they make very clear to you your path to citizenship, as Jake has been saying, as I know from people that I worked with from places as far flung as the Ivory Coast, Nigeria, Brazil, England, um, there are paths to it. They they certainly make people aware of that. Uh, in this one, I, I, you know, I think you, you break the law in this way and people will say, oh, it's a nonviolent crime. Yeah, there's no crime associated with the drug trade, particularly cocaine and things like that. Certainly. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I think the challenge here too is right. I mean, he's facing the judicial system, but then he's also facing our, our system of immigration. Had he been a citizen, he would have only been dealing with the The judicial system. He'd be out of prison right now. He did seven years of a 15 year sentence. He'd be out of prison and going about his life, but because of a fault of his own, he did not achieve citizenship that's right Uh, again i don't have the full timeline here that's something that is conspicuously missing for most of the stories on it uh as is the multiple uh the kilos of cocaine that he was trying to sell to the police also missing from a lot of the stories Ah. they'd like oh yeah drug conviction and they don't talk about exactly what it was but anyway i thought i thought you were saying the kilos were missing oh well i don't know know, (laughs) chicago (laughs) could be (laughs) Might, might, might be a possibility yeah, so as I mentioned, we're speaking with Justin Brown, founder and CEO of Hill Vets, an organization working to do uh, great things and get more veterans involved in politics, uh, working on Capitol Hill to also make sure that veterans' voices are heard and that veterans are hearing the voices of those on Capitol Hill. Really, all of those things. And uh, the nominations for the Hill Vets 100 came to a close this past Friday. So you got right. a bunch of good people listed in there. Uh, they're pretty incredible. So we're, we're, we're completely wrapping that up right now and we expect those to start rolling out tomorrow so oh, wow so people are going to hear as early as tomorrow as early as tomorrow that so. is fantastic yeah. but that's not all that you guys do i mean it's nice to have an award ceremony to recognize veterans in various industries that have had success but you're also working to as i said get more veterans involved in politics through things like the hill vets fellowship now is that still open as it stands right now that you still have spots for the fellowship we we have uh one spot open for the hill Ooh. vets house fellowship so if, if you are interested in working on capitol hill please get your resumes uh, and visit us at hillvets.org. Check out our uh, information there and get us an application. Uh, we're bringing the best and brightest vets to Washington, D.C. We're placing them on Capitol Hill, getting you trained up. And, you know, if you're looking at a job in public policy or politics, this is a, a great way to get started. And they have a place to stay while they're here, too. That's it's right. not like they have to you know pay for a hotel room for yep. while they're serving under their fellowship. D- D.C.'s no cheap endeavor. So. No, it's not. I mean, it's uh, not necessarily as expensive as, say, Manhattan, but it's pretty darn close That's right. <laughs> when it yeah. comes to the cost of living uh, here in our nation's capital. It's part of why I live uh, quite a ways outside of our nation's capital. But Justin, he plies his trade within the capital, and he mm-hmm. likes to keep us up to date on the big happenings around Capitol Hill that are going to affect us. So, Justin, what's going on this week? Any more memos coming out? <laughs> Looks like there might be actually. Right? Yeah, there may be some memos. I mean, memos is the the name of the game, and sometimes you 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 get caught by surprise on those. But uh, 
I, I think the biggest and latest news uh, really kind of came out uh, late last evening is is rumor the rumor mill is running with regards to uh, House Veterans Affairs Chairman Phil Rowe mm. considering retirement. So wow. um, he said within the week he'll make a decision. Uh, he's also stating he is truly not decided. Uh, when you look at his uh, his his rake in terms of fundraising for uh, another run at, at at office, pretty low numbers, which you know often are kind of the telltale sign with with regards to uh, somebody running again for office. Yeah, I mean, you don't it, have the money to do it. Well, you know, I think you'll never run into a member of Congress that says they love raising money. So <laughs> if 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 they think they may be on the way out you know, or know they're retiring, they're, they're, they're not going to go out of their way to keep raising money. So not a lot of money in the bank right now for, for, uh, chairman Phil Rowe. Certainly if he decided to run again as a chairman, he could, you know, certainly raise those numbers. Uh, but we're expecting a decision according to himself within the week, uh, whether or not he's going to stick around for another term. Now he's started a number of initiatives on Capitol Hill. Certainly we're in the thick of a fight, uh, with regards to the future of veterans healthcare. Uh, so I think those are some of the decisions that uh, he, as well as uh, Republican leadership, are, are weighing with regards to how they're going to move forward. Eric's over here. That what? was a, a live video that someone's got on Facebook that I guess I tapped something on my phone by mistake, and it came through. I was hearing myself from uh, just a couple of seconds. Is that, is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's what that was. So I, it's interesting that, you know, when you say that, yeah, you don't hear many members of Congress say they like raising money. Uh, they like spending money is what they like doing. <laughs> well, so. who doesn't like that? Yeah, Come on. I mean, hey, I, I don't, I mean, I like making it because I enjoy my job, but I also like spending it a little bit as well. I don't know where all of it goes or what I'm spending it all on, but yeah, I guess I must like spending. The other the other thing that I think is playing into this decision is is uh, the congressman was diagnosed with cancer last year, so mm. he had he had a tough year. Uh, I think he swung back uh, in a, in a big way. I think everybody uh, was um, thankful and excited to see him come back in in good spirits. But I think certainly that's probably playing into this decision as well as uh, you know he's also citing family, which. You know, the being a member of Congress really can be a thankful, thankless position in which, you know, when you're here, you're working full time. When you're back in the district, you're pretty much also working full time. You're going to all of these events and parades and, um, you know, you're, you're still meeting with constituents locally. I mean, it's 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 pretty intense. It certainly is. And, you know, it's always interesting to me, and you would know better than I, because, of course, this is the sphere that you work in in politics. When you have someone who's already nominated and has served for or already elected and has served for a while, I should say, like Phil Rowe. He's six terms. Yeah. Name recognition has got to be big where he lives. I mean, the challengers, you may have someone famous who comes up to challenge them, a local businessman, but uh, the name recognition of being a congressman for for six terms, that's also got to help, right? I mean, it, it must reduce the amount of money that you have to raise, I would think, to run your campaign. Yeah, that's 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 probably generally true. Uh, I think the the other uh, item that's kind of playing into the to the to these decisions right now is you know Phil Rowe would be the tenth chairman to say he's retiring this mm. Congress. Uh, so I mean I think some of that is also that you know the that there are some um, you know fear there there's fear in the air that uh, the the house could potentially flip, and what that means is. You know, if you're a chairman, that means you're no longer a chairman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're you're a ranking member. 
Um, you know, so I think that that's certainly probably playing into some of these decisions with regards to these senior members uh, looking at the tea leaves. If the house flips, how long does it flip? Um, you know, if you're if you're a minority in the house, you you really are you know not in control. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you it's very difficult to make your policy agenda. Uh, move forward. I mean, you 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 actually really have to compromise if you're in the minority to 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 get anything done. Um, so, I mean, I think that's certainly playing into a lot of these folks' decisions as well. Is you know, hey, I'm chairman now. That's great. Um, but if the house flips, uh, what does that look like? How long is that going to to go on? And what does that mean for my policy gen- agenda over the next you know two? And that would be best case scenario, right? Mm. That that it only flips for one Congress. Uh, I have not seen that in my my tenure on Capitol Hill. I think the the shortest I I've seen at this juncture has been you know something like six years. So I think that's certainly playing in the back of uh, a lot of folks' minds. Yeah, it, it's always interesting to me to hear like while people are retiring, a lot of people are retiring as well. It seems uh, right. more than usual that that could cause Congress to flip. I always wonder about that. Like, well, you know, how many of these people are in uh, districts where it was much of a close election when they ran? Uh, it'll be interesting to see. And of course, interesting to see how many veterans run for these many seats that are going to be opus open, particularly within the house of representatives. Uh, do you have any info on that? I know I was hearing about a big push to have more veterans run. I've seen a few veterans and even talked to a few that are planning to run like Dan Crenshaw down in Texas, yep. Ivan Reichlin in Virginia, yep. uh, a lot of people who are looking to do that. Do we have any idea of whether that push is actually taking place or if it was just something that was kind of nice in theory to think about? There are, an, if, if my email is any indicator uh, of folks asking me for money, well, I just <laughs> there, wanted money. There, it has nothing to do with political. <laughs> there, there are a lot of veterans running for Congress this mm. cycle uh, on both sides of the aisle and at at all levels. And 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 I think we started to see this trend um, probably as long as you know five six years ago, where a lot of these veterans started running for local, state, city office, and a lot of them are graduating to to the higher levels of you know running for Congress. There are a number of folks who are who are simply just running for Congress or Senate as their first runs as well, uh, and you know if they can raise the 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 money, get their message together, and, and pull together an organization that you know can run a a legitimate campaign, um, we'll we'll see some of those folks win. I mean, I, I have no doubt we'll see more veterans on Capitol Hill after this cycle. Uh, based on the number of veterans that are running. And there are a lot of organizations out there that are trying to make a difference in getting veterans elected. Um, on, on the Democratic side, you have uh, New American Politics, which is the organization that brought Seth Moulton to Capitol Hill. Uh, they are working with a number of Democratic candidates. Uh, you have the, the, the Guardian Fund, which is a, a PAC, which is raising money for Republican candidates that was started by former Representative Alan West. Um, you have groups like Vote Vets, which uh, are nonpartisan, but are working to educate veterans on on how to run for office and what they need to be successful. So you, you have a number of, uh, I think, uh, good folks uh, culminating around veterans, whether they be partisan or not, uh, trying to get more veterans up here on Capitol Hill. And, uh, and, look- and it's working. Yeah. And looking at New York City, uh, someplace that is uh, generally tends to be represented by uh, Democrats from Congress, it's 
just how New York City works, with one exception, Staten Island. There's a guy who's running up there. I believe his name is Max Rose, who uh, I think they're... Their hope is that him being a veteran and more of a centrist uh, Democrat, I would say, than a really left-leaning, you know, he's not Bernie Sanders, to be sure. Uh, They're actually using him uh, as a possible into what has historically been the Republican stronghold in New York City, in the five boroughs. So interesting to see what will happen there with these elections when they take place, Uh, whether they will uh, vindicate people believing that one thing is going to happen or the other thing is going to happen. One thing I know you are hopeful for is that maybe more veterans in Congress or whoever comes into Congress and after these next elections brings more veterans on their staff. Because we actually have a higher percentage of veterans, I think, serving in Congress than veterans are a percentage of the population. But when it comes to staff members of congressional members, it's it's a staggeringly low number of veterans on those staffs, right? That's that's correct. In comparison to the federal agencies, Congress would be the worst uh entity in terms of hiring veterans. They're right around 2%, uh, so 2% of their staff. And what concerns me about that is you look at our budget, more than 60% of our budget is related to the military or veteran experience in some way. The the defense budget, uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs, the State Department and what we're spending in foreign affairs, uh, Department of Homeland Security, and you know we really lack a, a, a military veteran brain trust on Capitol Hill. Uh, Department of Defense used to fill some of that void. They have a fellowship program them, them, themselves. Uh, that program has been cut by 25% as mm. of recently. So we're seeing fewer military service members who are working as um, you know, they're working as fellows for members of Congress on Capitol Hill, working on defense issues, whatever it may be. But in terms of permanently permanently placed staff who, who, you know, are really the brain trust of Capitol Hill. These are the folks that move on to be, uh, political appointees throughout the federal government. They end up being our assistant sec- secretaries or deputy secretaries. Um, you know, uh, Chuck Hagel was a former staffer. Uh, mm. Senator Jim Webb was a former staffer. I mean, uh, Donald Rumsfeld, the list goes on. I mean, it really is kind of a launch pad for, uh, you know, long-term, uh, high positions in government. And, you know, it's, it's frightening to us to see that, you know, only 2% of these staffers have any military experience. So we're certainly working to change that. We're certainly working with the 20% uh, of members of Congress who, who do have military service uh, somewhere in their background. Uh, Hopeful to see those numbers grow as this election cycle rolls through on, on both sides of the aisle, uh, because we believe that the veteran uh, experience offers something pretty incredible. There are not a lot of uh, identities such as the veteran experience that that really trump partisan politics. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have partisan beliefs, right. but, w- but what it does mean is that you have a res- enough respect for your fellow veteran that, you know, I know I know some really crazy Republican Marines, <laughs> but, you know, to, to me, they're, they're, they're a Marine before they're a Republican, and I'm going to listen to their ideas. I may think they're crazy, but I'm going to give them enough respect that we can probably come to compromise on some things. And I think you've seen that throughout Capitol Hill for a, a very long period of time. Uh, you know, post 9-11 GI Bill would not have happened if it was not for veterans from both sides of the aisle coming together and really, um, you know, realizing that, hey, this is the best thing that we can do for this generation of veterans. 
you know, at the time, they gave a big win to Senator Jim Webb, who was the junior uh, Democratic senator out of Virginia. And who did they team up with? I mean, it was two Vietnam vets. It was it was Jim Webb and Chuck Hagel, right. Democrat and Republican, both Vietnam vets. And it was two World War II veterans that they went and, 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 and sought out from mm. both sides of the aisle. And one was the senior senator from his own state, uh, then Senator John Warner, a Republican, uh, kind of a legend, um, and Frank Lautenberg from New Jersey, a Democrat, uh, World War II vet. So the four of those veterans really, uh, I think, did what was right for our nation, did what was right for my generation of veterans. I I don't think there will ever be a bigger change in terms of long-term impact for our generation of veterans. And, and, And we wouldn't, we wouldn't get that in today's Congress. That's what's scary. I mean, those guys are not around, right? Um, you, you, you do not see that at the, 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 the senior level and, um, we're, we're losing, especially a lot of our, you know, what I would call statesman veterans uh, mm. on Capitol Hill. You know, the, the, the guys who, uh, you know, have, uh, military wartime service in their history, who, who really stood above the rest and doing what was right for our country, um, and kind of put their foot down when it was necessary, um, you know, when the bickering just got out of control and, right. and, and figured out ways to, to, to reach a compromise. We, we had a lunch with Chuck Hagel um, pretty recently, and he met with uh, our veterans who are, who, who are uh, also on Capitol Hill. And, you know, it was incredible to just listen to him speak. And he just said, you know, the Congress I grew up in, we, we just did our job. And part right. of doing our job was passing a budget. We just did it. You know, there, there, wasn't, there wasn't any you know, speculation that we'd be doing something like shutting, especially shutting down the government, right. let, let alone not passing budgets. I mean, that, that, you know, he said, that's our job, you know, and here we are, we're, we're on the, the edge of once again, another government shutdown, um, because, you know, the men and women on Capitol Hill, uh, cannot sit down, frankly, cannot do their job and, and, and get to a budget. Hmm. Well, from Ralph Abraham to Lee Zeldin, there are plenty of veterans serving in the House and in the Senate, hopefully going to be uh, more after the coming elections. We'd always like to see more there. As we've been talking about with Justin Brown, founder and CEO of Hill Vets, uh, there's also the issue of uh, a staggeringly low amount of congressional staffers being veterans. We only have a couple minutes left, Justin, but here's a question for you. Let's say there are, you know, we, we can browbeat the Congress members, like, you need to hire more veterans. How do veterans go about trying to become staff members? Do you just show up at uh, Brad Wenstrup's office and go, hey, I'm a veteran. I want to be on your staff. I mean, what's sure. the best way to go about it? Uh, probably a Hill Vets House Fellowship. Ah, um, there you go. <laughs> Time <it> back. <laughs> but um, it's, 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 it's very uh, competitive. Uh, you know, so the majority of staffers that are coming into um, junior positions uh, are generally straight out of college, have great grades, went to great schools, uh, have been to Europe and tried to save wells. I mean, that's, that's kind of your, <laughs> that's kind of your general background of your, your, your common staffer. Um, the military experience has started to be, I, I think, and hopefully reflective of some of our work. Um, you know, we've really tried to highlight the value that veterans bring to policy and right. Capitol Hill. And over time, we've started to change some of the stereotypes with regards to, you know, staffers have to fit this exact mold. Right. Um, and we've done that by reaching out, touching members of Congress, uh, a lot of them that are, that, are, that are military service members themselves, and getting them to become Hill Vets House ambassadors. And 
with those folks, uh, you know, we've 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 placed fellows in their offices over time, and uh, I think they they've really grown to respect the value that veterans bring. The fact that you know we can get veterans trained up pretty quickly to do the work of a, a congressional staffer. Um, but on the flip side, you can't really train a congressional staffer to understand what it <laughs> means to, to serve in the military, what it means to serve in Afghanistan, Iraq, you know, uh, sure you can, you just send them off to boot camp and then put them into a unit and send them over there for a little <laughs> while. They actually do that. So we, we, we went, we, we, when I was a congressional staffer, we went to Fort Benning and, and I called it uh, congressional boot camp ah, and it's, it's basically through it. <laughs> it's basically the same thing as army boot camp, except for you only do the fun things like the confidence courses and you get drunk every night. So it's a little <laughs> bit different, but a little bit different, but it's out there. We've been speaking with Justin Brown, founder and CEO of Hill Vets and Justin, if people want to find out more and they want to apply for that last fellowship, well, where do they go? Check us out at hillvets.org or and at hillvets on Twitter. You got it. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.